0: welcome to the explanation of benefits podcast have you ever wondered how healthcare works would you like to take a look behind the curtain with industry experts healthcare executives and policymakers to demystify the topics of the day and the ongoing evolution of healthcare we invite you to come on a journey to learn about the ecosystem that keeps you and your family healthy this podcast is sponsored by the michigan association of health plans representing 10 health insurers here in the state of michigan and delivering care to 3.1 million Michiganders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Explanation of Benefits podcast, and thank you for joining us. Uh, Today we'll be speaking with Beverly Allen. Beverly is CEO of Aetna Better Health of Michigan, a company that insures about 50,000 people here in the state of Michigan, uh, with an overall premium revenue over $300 million. Beverly, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me today, Jeff.
0: Uh, well, Beverly, most of the, our focus with you is um, you are a longtime leader in the healthcare industry here in Michigan, and um, also specifically, you're a woman of color. And I think we'd like to take some time to analyze those two things during our our, our talk today. Um, can you talk a little bit, at, a bit about being a woman of color and your rise to CEO and, and how you got there and kind of your story?
1: Well, I um, am a certified public accountant by training, and um, I went to school for accounting. and I would say that my my rise to CEO was um, not necessarily an aspiration that I had, but it was um, I, I found myself in business constantly um, trying new things and 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 being promoted to the next level. I would I would say that probably the most significant thing that has um, worked for me is just first of all staying very true to my core value system and, and 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 when I say that I mean really having just the courage to stand up for what I believe in, even even when there are personal risks associated with doing so. I have always um, you know being being someone who was honed in finance, always knew that it was important for me to be able to always be willing to walk away if it meant a compromise to my value system. So to me, first and foremost was always to stay true to my my core value system. Um, beyond that, I would say I've always been kind of a heads down, hard work, thoroughly committed um, individual and and also I would say that I've always been open and willing to try new things um I've always looked at challenges as opportunities so it allowed me to push past my comfort zone I would call it and um so that has been key i think in in my um you know, ascension in, in various organizations. And the other thing I've always done is just really to leverage uh, valued relationships, um, rely on mentorship. I think that's very important. And I also have always hired to compliment myself. Um, I think individuals who hire um, and bring on their team, people that are clones of them um, do not create a well-rounded, um team and work experience so i've always hired people to complement you know what i felt my strengths were
0: so you know you you talked a little bit there about your value system and and never sacrificing can you talk about an instance where there has been an, a, a situation where an answer or a business strategy would have put one of those principles in, in peril and you, you know, decided to rely on your, on those, you know, despite maybe the, the push pull of the situation, like what's a situation where, you know, your principles maybe guided you through to the, what guided you through to the right answer, which may not have been obvious at that moment.
1: I would say that there have certainly been times in my career where, Um, You know, financial integrity has been very important where, um, you know, a lot of times there are a lot of people that are have very vested interests in, um, you know, financial, the outcomes of a company. And um, when you sit in that seat as a chief financial officer, for example, you have to be prepared to push back against that and so where you know there have probably been you know a couple times where I can think of where I was really pushed to we, we need our results to look like this <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know where I had to stand my ground and say but that that's not that's not really where we are and so um, You know, I've and I've always looked at it as I I would never compromise my integrity. So if there's I I can operate in gray all day long, but Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) if something does not feel right to me, I'm not you know, I'm not willing to compromise my integrity for um, that immediate gain.
0: Yeah, leadership it seems to me to always kind of land in those shades of gray right you know very very rarely is there so easy the right or wrong black or white answer right it's it's all in that in that gray space that exists in the in the messiness of our world um, so you talked about you know hiring staff to complement you and and you said you're largely a, a financial person a cpa by training it, what does the compliment to you look like so you being very financial do you look for somebody with a you know, that, that hardcore operational mentality? Are you looking for someone with that salesman? Like what is, what is the, you know, what is the opposite to Beverly Allen look like?
1: Well, I would say for one thing, I am a very, I think finance people are just very, um, pragmatic and just give me the numbers, just give me the facts. Um, we can be, um, pretty, um, I don't know honest to a fault and direct, and so sometimes I need people that kind of smooth out my rough edges if you know what I mean i need I need to have people around me that um have a little bit more of the soft um the, you know, just the soft edge to them to round out my sometimes very direct um, uh, tendencies, I will mm-hmm. say.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's very interesting you talk financial and there's another episode where, where we talk to an actuary. So now we're going from an actuary, largely financial, very, very financial. And now we're talking to you saying, well, sometimes I, I got to rough out those, those that very hard financial edge in a in a business like healthcare That's that's very financially driven. Yeah and
1: I would I would also say excuse me Jeff I would also say that healthcare um just working in the healthcare arena I walk around I work around a lot of clinicians and clinicians tend to be very um uh, high level of empathy high level of you know um you know just the way they interact with others tends to be in a, um, maybe a gentler way than, you know, a lot of finance people do. And so, you know, that's kind of an example of how, you know, as you grow in your own career and as I've grown in mine, I've had to learn how to, um, recognize those differences in people and in communication style, um, and, um, and, and and vary them a little bit, you know, t- to, to suit the audience.
0: Yeah. I, I think back, like I grew up with a, a, a accountant father who was a CFO and then later CEO and a, and a um, special education um, teacher as a, as a mother. So I, it's always funny when m- m- like kind of like my hard analytical side comes out and I, my mom will say, well, that's very your dad. And then I'll say something else. And he'll be like, oh, that's so very your mom. Exactly. Right? And exactly. trying to blend the two personalities, right? In the, in the effect of family. Yeah. Um, what interesting thing that's kind of risen up, and, and we've we talked about you being CEO, and one of the things is you're a very long standing CEO in Michigan. I mean, you've been CEO of Aetna and then Coventry Cares before that, and a couple other organizations since roughly 2005. Um, So I think you've got a really broad scale view. Um, I I was doing some research for this and and I found an interesting philosophy in this idea of the glass cliff where women and people of color seem to be promoted to organizations that are weekly performing. And then, you know, it's almost like you know, we're, there's this mentality change of let's bring in major change. And then somebody that fits the bill is brought in and they're very short term. Do you, I mean, how do you think generally about things like the glass cliff or even the glass ceiling? And then, you know, from your perspective, how you, how you blew through them?
1: I think actually that what I was blessed with is um, having poured into me from a very early age that I could do really whatever I wanted to do if I worked hard and if I set my mind to it. So to that end, I, I really never limited myself in my thinking. Um, I, I've i always... So in, in some regards, I'm blessed to not... Um, recognize or even to give um, any power to ceilings or or cliffs. It's not that I don't recognize that they're there. I just don't give power to it. So I would say that I've needed to nudge. I've needed a nudge at times in my own self-confidence, but it was always about me and not about how I thought an external force could, could stop or limit me. Limit, You know, so, you know, I, I definitely recognize that there are inequities in all facets of our lives and including and especially in the workplace. But I, I've really never allowed it to fuel, you know, to 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 stop me more. I, I allowed it to fuel me. And what one interesting fact about me is that um, I, I I'm a small town girl <laughs> My, um, my, my family, I come from the west side of uh, the state and my family, my aunt and uncle in, in particular, own a, um, a 200 acre blueberry farm in West Michigan. So I, I grew up at a very early age um, working on the farm, believe it or not. And um, by the time we were in our teens My siblings, my cousins, we we were like farm bosses (laughs) during Thanksgiving. (laughs) So leadership was installed into my DNA at a very early age. And I even talked about that at my uncle's funeral that, um, you know, that that experience, I think, had a very lasting impression on me. Um, and, and, and you can't underestimate the, the value of having that instilled in you early, but also in, in being in the right place at the right time, which, which I consider to be, um, divine and not just dumb luck. So, um, I think I've had a lot of things that, you know, um, you know, have 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 played in my ability and my uh, my ability to ascend in corporate America, as well as my ability to stay.
0: So let's talk about this blueberry farm for a quick second, because I have an interest. So (laughs) because because you're so financially driven, did that blueberry farm have the best financials of any blueberry farm in Michigan while you were there?
1: I can't say that. I um, <laughs> I probably don't even know that level. I'm like, we had to pay the workers, we had to pay the pickers, but I didn't have that big picture view. That was that was all in my uncle's realm.
0: So let's talk about how that that financial space kind of fits into. You know, into healthcare. Like, how did you? you so, I, I think you started out on, in a financial consulting company, and, and then you kind of moved into healthcare. You know, what sparked your interest in, in, in finding that nexus between the two industries? Because they're both pretty complicated, and then where they interact is even more complicated.
1: You know, interestingly enough, I as I stated, I'm a CPA by training, and I worked in one of the at that time it was the Big Eight accounting firms, and. Um, when I was in public accounting, my my experience was almost entirely. Um, my clients were almost entirely healthcare and financial services industry. So, a lot of times, people who work in a consulting or a professional services firm like that, where you get your your experience and hone your experience, is kind of um, oftentimes is directional. To where you might end up when you leave. Um, Certainly, you learn the the business and um, you understand the business, and so that you know you're inclined to gravitate there. But, but I would also say that I always regarded healthcare as an industry that was much more widely open to women in leadership. I, you know, when you think about the the Presence of of women in healthcare settings, hospitals. You know, um, it, it always looked to me like a place where, um, you know, there was more opportunity for women, and and I would also say that we, you know, we re- I also recognize that women are much more likely to make the healthcare decisions for their families. So. Um, and you know, really, all areas of healthcare, I think, really, truly need to have the perspective of women in leadership.
0: Yeah, and th- we actually have quite a few uh, women leaders in in the health insurance industry in Michigan. There's quite a few firms that are are led by women, and there's even quite a few. Even uh, I'm thinking specifically about a, a Westside Hospital System Spectrum Health. They're they're led by a they're led by a woman and, and Tina Freeze, right? Exactly. Uh, so it is a growth space for for women in that space and, and like I said, I think at the beginning you you kind of led the charge there in the early 2000s. So thinking about that nexus where healthcare and fi- finance kind of intersected, um, when you made the decision to kind of move into healthcare, you know thinking back however many years later would you do it again? or would you like to just be a, a I guess maybe a more singularly focused CPA?
1: No, most definitely. I, I would definitely do it again, uh, mainly because I think healthcare provides an opportunity to impact and, and improve a broad section of the community because healthcare touches everyone. So, to me, it is the perfect space for me because of the impact that you can have on communities and lives.
0: So we know you, you were identified as leader at, at, the, at the blueberry farm that your uncle ran, but in your professional career, who was the, the first person to identify you as a leader and, and really push you into that? And how did that happen?
1: Well, I, I would say probably the first person and, you know, one of the most influential people would be um, when I was in public Accounting. there was a female partner in the Detroit office. Her name was Amy, Amy Wallman. And um, she was very influential to me from a leadership perspective, because she was a partner in a very well, you know, male dominated world. And the thing that I would say that I remember most about her was that she was um, very driven, she was very intelligent, but she was unapologetically a woman. She did not come to that space with the, um, and, and this will sound silly, but just the typical, you know, trying to look like a man. You know, blue suit, white shirt. She she came with colors. I, I just remember that about her. I mean, this was a long time ago and at the beginning of my career, but to me, she was you know she was dyna- a dynamic leader in a male dominated world but she you know she was unapologetically a woman so she was very influential for me as a leader and she recognized me I worked on a lot of her her jobs because she was a healthcare partner and I you know um I think I gravitated to her but she also recognized um my potential and I think Um, gave me a lot of opportunities and I I could consult with her um, early on in my career. Um, The person I would say that is my lifelong mentor is um, Bobby Jones, who a lot of people in Michigan in um, managed care, he was one of the pioneers in Michigan managed care. And he was very influential um, as in my life and and really is has been my mentor every ever since. I mean even today, if I have a particular challenge or something I want to bounce someone off, he is the person that I call.
0: Well it my, my follow-up question was going to be you know would you would you thank that person today because you know and it, it sounds like you would because you're still in pretty close contact with the two people you find most influential to your career, right?
1: I would. I have I've actually lost touch touch with Amy Wallman, but I would definitely thank her for the example that she provided, you know, me as a woman in leadership and, in, in, you know, as I say, a male dominated profession. But Bobby Jones, again, he remains a constant in my life. And I, and I do let him know how much I appreciate him and his confidence in me, even even when I didn't see what he saw in me. So I appreciate that. And I I, I let him know occasionally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was funny. I was listening to another podcast kind of in prepping to talk about leadership and, and Jack Welch the uh, from GE, uh, late Jack Welch, right? Um, he mentioned that one of the things he knew was it indicated to him that women were starting to be empowered was what you mentioned, which is women started dressing more like women and he talked about almost exactly what you said which is you know white shirt blue blue suit and then all of a sudden there was color right and there was right. it, and that is just you know so like it, it's expressive right and and it's just it, it's really shocking to think back like that 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 sort of thing was was you know depressed um can you talk about maybe a little more like how did how did Amy and then how did like that mentality really shake up the corporate the corporate space?
1: I, I think she was so ahead of her time, to be honest with you because before that, I, I felt like I did see, you know, you know, women kind of try to, you know disappear as to their, you know femininity, you know and 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 to to excel by modeling men. And I just, I, I really think she was kind of, um, I, I mean, this is this is the early. Let me think. This was be the early eighties, and I think she was just, um, you know, unapologetically herself, and and so that that to me was very um, just just impactful.
0: Now, have you like scaled that unapologetic nature that you that you that you modeled from her to to people you've mentored? Is that something that you think has has stood the test of time and something you keep you keep trying to to scale to the next generation?
1: Uh, absolutely. I, I've I've always found it. Um, I am very natural in my leadership style and I have usually always been unapologetically me. Um, I'm, I, You know, and, and when I say that, I am very acutely aware of my rough edges and where my opportunities are. And I think it's important to be a lifelong learner and a lifelong um, work in progress. So that's what I call myself. I'm a work in progress because I'm a very aware <laughs> of the things that I need to work at and I don't just let them be. I try to work on them.
0: So if you can think of something in the most recent past where, you know, cuz obviously you you're you're working very hard, you have a lot of very complicated things to work on in the financial and the healthcare aspect, you know, have you had a moment recently where you looked at something you said or did and said, "Oops, I erred there and that's something I really need to take a personal note and 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 work at and then like how like how do you how do you keep track of those things over time?"
1: <laughs> how about yesterday? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just, the, the, I'm human, and in the moment, I don't always say the right thing. And what's important to me is to own it, you know. And I, you know, if I, if I say something that I think, you know, was not received right, or um, was not, you know, it didn't feel right to me, that you know, I, I know I left an impression on someone that is not what I want to exemplify, the important thing to me is to own it. And by owning it is acknowledging it. And and so that's what I incorporate in my leadership style is to acknowledge, you know, acknowledge when I'm wrong or when I've misstepped to the person that I may have offended.
0: Now, do you do that do you tend to do that in a, in a private setting or do you match that to the setting in which you felt like you made the mistake?
1: I will do, I will do it both. I will do it both ways. And, and certainly if the, um, you know, I, I I owe that person a, you know, a response or a, you know, a personal acknowledgement, you know, I will certainly give that. But if, if, if what I have, you know, if my misstep was public, I am not afraid to publicly acknowledge it.
0: Now, now do you think working on, on those parts of anyone's personality and improving them is the key to leadership? Or do you think that leadership is just like a, a, a natural ability?
1: Uh, you know, I think leadership very simply is is being an example for others to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to that point, To that point, I think everyone is a leader because no matter who you are, what your role is, someone is watching you. So at home, it it could be your children. At at work, it could be a coworker. So even if your position um, in the organization or your position in whatever relationship it is doesn't have the moniker of leader or manager... I think essentially everyone is a leader because wherever you are, someone is watching you and you could be impacting and influencing, you know, uh, people that come, you know, behind you.
0: So, yeah, I think you've kind of hit this uh, around the edges here, but, you know, I think you just, you just defined leadership really well, um, has, do you think that definition's been static since your first leadership role or has that been something that's evolved over time?
1: I I think it's evolved. I, you know, I honestly, I think earlier in my career, I have been, I, I may have taken more of an autocratic approach. I, I, maybe I thought if you were a boss, you had to boss everyone around. Uh, but I, I guess my family and, and my team would tell you that I still try to boss everyone around, but (laughs) once once you get to know me and you know that it's a safe place to push back, all that power goes out the window, right? You know, people know. So, um, and I I pride myself in that. I I do. I'm a very strongly opinionated person, but I also foster an environment where people feel that it is a safe place to disagree and it's a safe place to push back and so that kind of empowers people to, um, you know, to, to to grow on their own. So I, you know, I, I would say it, it has evolved.
0: So one thing, and I don't know if you would remember this conversation, you and I got talked a couple years ago at our conference when we had Kim Lear there talking about the generational differences between people. Um, do you vary your communication and leadership style based on the person you're working with? Or you know, is it, or is it Beverly is Beverly is Beverly?
1: No, no, no. I definitely, I think you have to vary um, your style. And I I don't believe you can lead everyone in the same way. I I think you have to meet each person where they are. And there are definitely general differences. And some of those are driven by generational experiences, but I, you know, I think it's best that you recognize those differences as a frame of reference. But you also have to be careful not to stereotype people. So, um, you know, I, I think you have to meet people where they are, recognize that generational difference, but also don't, don't overplay it. If you know what I mean. Yeah.
0: So, you know, we've talked about your style a little bit. Is there like a, a model of a person? or, a, or a, per, a leader's personal style that you, you try to mimic or is at this point, is it just you know, like a natural growth and evolution path? Or is there something you like truly rely on as like your, your, your go-to resource for, for leadership?
1: I, I would say that I, if anything, I, I probably try to pattern myself as a, as a, um, as Bob, Bobby Jones is probably my, you know, I told you he's my mentor <laughs> And, you know, he is the epitome of what I aspire to be as a leader. He is, you know, um, you know, very much so a coach style leader. He believes that, you know, in everyone's strengths, They everybody has strengths and weaknesses and, and you know, likes to help team members identify and hone their strengths and just really kind of give mm-hmm. them encouragement and the space to trust their judgment. So he's probably the person that most represents that to me. And so that's what I, you know, and I always, I, I think that is a very effective leadership style. And um, I, I would also say, trust me, it, it's not always the easiest thing for me to do because at heart, I'm I, I'm a, I call myself a recovering tr- control freak, so <laughs> <laughs> which is is interesting when you're you know when you aspire to be a strong and effective coach style leader, but. Um, I you know, Bobby Jones is probably my epitome of that because he is just a master of recognizing strengths and pushing pushing and empowering people to realize their full potential. So and, and I, I affectionately call him the master manipulator. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, you, do you think that's what he would call himself?
1: I, you heard that,
0: right? Do you think that's what he would call himself?
1: Oh no, oh no. no is the master manipulator. I, I always tell him, it's like, you, you know, and he'll laugh. I, he recognizes it because when I call him on it, he, you know, he's, you have to know him. He's just kind of this like little, you know, gives this little chuckle, sneaky smile, like you mm-hmm, caught me, but I, you know, that's, that's my, that's my nickname for him.
0: So and it it sounds like cuz you talked a little bit earlier about surrounding yourself with with employees around you who represent your opposite you're also represent And he he's similar is that representation right he's the 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 yin to your yang where he's kind of that that opposite of the financial style that that helps you succeed in your position
1: Absolutely absolutely I think that's a good characterization <laughs>
0: So um, I, I wanted to pose this question. I was, like I said, I was doing some research and I was listening to Carol Bartz. Uh, she was CEO of, of Yahoo and Autodesk. Um, she said leadership is very lonely. And then Jack Welch, you know, he complimented and said, that's, that's really nonsense. Leadership is, is great. You're hanging around with all your friends in the trenches. D- where would you fall in that question? Do you think leadership is lonely or do you think it's, um, it's you know, hanging out with your friends and trying to accomplish things?
1: I think I agree more with Jack Welch. I, you know, I think leadership is only lonely if you make it lonely. Um, I I would imagine if you are, you know, an autocratic leader and, you know, and you make it all about you, it would be very lonely because that's what to me what an autocratic leader does is that, you you know, all your direction is all about you. Um, however, that, that leadership style is usually not very effective. So if you are a collaborative leader that, you know, values the strengths of every person and kind of empowers them to utilize those strengths, there would be nothing lonely in your leadership experience. So my, my leadership experience has not been lonely. It's been filled with a lot of, um, amazing people that I um, will be, you know, connected to for life. I have people that worked for me for 20 years and worked with me for 20 years. And, you know, people that have gone on and retired and, um, or gone on to do other things. And I, I still stay in touch. So I, I could find, you know, nothing would be further from the truth for me to say that leadership has been lonely for, for me. It has not. I spend more time, you know, at work than I do at home with my family, (laughs) frankly, as most people do. So um, that would be very sad if I found it lonely.
0: So so you're talking about, you know, interacting with people for 20 years. So with all of your experience in leadership, like, are you able at this point to basically just kind of like zero in on somebody and be like, that person's like a future leader or... I guess can you make that blink like split decision on somebody and, and feel pretty good about being right at this point?
1: Uh, yeah, I feel I feel like I can recognize it pretty quickly. I I try to be observant to watch for both you know obvious and hidden talents in people, and to um, encourage people to take new risks and 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 also I have to make sure I have the courage to trust them when they push me out of my own comfort zone. Um, I think that we talked a little bit about generational leader leadership differences. And um, I think we're all products of our own environment, including our coming of age time. Um, I, I'm a boomer. So naturally some of the ideas that come out of millennials and our gen Xers kind of push me out of my comfort zone. Um, But I, I recognize that and I, Honestly, I think having two amazing millennial daughters that that have both they both drive me crazy but also absolutely amaze me has honed me well.
0: I'll come to the the defense of millennials here, you know, as one myself. You know, we 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 think we mean the best and I think we we owe uh, the prior generations just so much for um you know, for for paving the way f- uh, economically for us and um so, and I'm sure I probably frustrate my my boomer parents in the same similar way that your daughters frustrate you. So uh, j- just know it's either very intentional or very not. I don't know. I'm not sure at this point. <laughs> um, so, how do you identify like the next generation of leaders with within your organization? Um, is it like you catch somebody and you you know you slip their manager a note and say, "Hey, keep an eye on that person and foster them or? Um, is it just you just kind of watch people work their way through the through the organization?
1: I I actually have a very, um, very much so have an open door policy. And so I encourage and initiate um, relationships with um, people at every level of my organization. I think I work hard to make it comfortable for my leadership team to be okay with that Um, and, um, and not, not to be, you know, to feel at all threatened by it or that there is something untoward and divisive on my part um, that is driving that. And so it is not uncommon for, um, a team member that may report to somebody (laughs) who reports to somebody who reports to me, um, to, to send me an email and say, I was wondering if I could, you know, chat with you and I immediately will certainly you can, um, have my assistant, um, set up a meeting and, um, see what's on their mind. And a lot of times it's just ideas and just kind of wanting to um, know that they have that ability to, to reach out and, you know, speak to me. And so a lot of times that has helped me to identify those, you know, next generation type leaders, if you will, um, to be able to, because that in and of itself says something to me. That speaks to me. That you would reach out to me and just want to hear my thoughts on a matter, or um, give insights on how they may progress in their career, or share what their interests are. That speaks volume to volumes to me about that individual um, in and of itself. So I, I think that's you know how I try to. Identify those leaders is and, and and usually that'll pique my interest and make me want to talk to their leaders a little bit more and say, hmm, I was thinking about this person. You know, is there an opportunity for us to give them, you know, a growth opportunity?
0: So uh, hopefully, if if we're successful here, you might have a lot of those meeting invites coming up. So you know, if they all pay attention to this podcast, you might get you might get flooded a bit. So I hope you're prepared. I might get
1: flooded, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about uh, the whole bevy of, of leadership issues. If there is one, you know, one leadership misnomer you could demystify because, you know, I, we didn't really introduce, but our general goal in this podcast is to demystify healthcare. What is one leadership misnomer you would like to demystify?
1: Um, I, I guess I would. I would want to make all people in a position of authority or power understand that if you want to lead, you have to model the behaviors that would make others want to follow you. And so that to me is the, um, the, the driving force in, in leadership. And, and so I think if more or if every leader, took that as a, um, as a, as a banner, I I think we would, um, um, you know, I think that that would make them a much stronger leader in, in general.
0: Okay. And then on the other side of, of, you know, your business, if you could demystify one healthcare misnomer, what would you demystify?
1: I, I guess I would make healthcare live up to its name, healthcare, instead of of sick care. I mean, if I could wave my ma- magic wand, I you know, healthcare in in and of itself, I think is a misnomer, and so I think our system is wired today, still to um, provide sick care and take p- care of people when they're sick, and and so I think that would probably be the the biggest thing. And, and the other would be just to make it available to everyone, regardless of, you know, socioeconomic status, race, creed, color, all the things that drive disparate access to quality healthcare.
0: Yeah, we're, and I think throughout, you know, we haven't really touched on the, on the COVID pandemic, but that's been one thing that's really come to light during the pandemic is, is the disparate delivery of healthcare in our system.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, you know, I want to obviously be be mindful of your time, but you know, this question has kind of come at, and I meant to get to a little bit earlier, but so you've, you've thrived through, you know, the, the, through, um, Aetna, you know, um, assuming a prior company, and then you were at a couple others, what has allowed you, do you think to thrive consistently, you know, almost. No matter where you're at, or no matter the change in circumstance, because I would imagine the the purchase, you know, of a of a health plan is probably one of those moments where you, you know it, it shakes you up a little bit, you know, and you've had staying power through through a few of these, you know. Do you think that there's a a magic thing that you do that allows you to thrive in those situations? I
1: think first of all, I stay me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, stay. I I I'm the same. Things around me may change, but I'm the same.
0: You're a sea but of tranquility.
1: In, yes. I. Yeah. But I also have, I always recognize that, and I accept change. I accept change. I, I don't fight change. A lot of people that don't um, survive transitions, and let's face it, there's a lot of transitions in corporate America today, you know, because one company is always acquiring the next and the next and the next. I've been, how many times have I been acquired (laughs) or merged? I don't know. I mean- That's a
0: a scary question to even pose, isn't it? Like how many times has this happened to me? I've
1: been acquired, you know, been, you know what I mean when I say been acquired, Mm -hmm. it's just like, how many times have I been in a company that either merged Or was acquired or acquired, you know, probably is more impactful to you when you are when your company is acquired. Right. But this this goes back all the way to Ernst and Winnie. I told you I was I was a CPA at Ernst and Winnie, which became Ernst and Young. And and the name changed, but also a lot of the accounting practices and processes, you know, were it was, there was a lot of disruption for me because a lot of the young side of that equation survived. And so I had to, you know, learn new things and be accepting of new things. And, you know, I was, I was um, the deputy rehabilitator for the former Omnicare health plan that was acquired by Coventry. Um, And then, you know, Coventry was acquired by Aetna and then Aetna was acquired by CBS. So I've I've had my share of those transitions, those corporate transitions. And the thing that I would say is that I stayed me, but I also embraced the change and I didn't fight fight it. The people oftentimes who don't survive transitions, it's because they are stuck in the way we used to do it and they fight the 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 change. And they are very early casualties of that change.
0: You know, and, and I think that's, you know, a, a, a great moment for us to really to really think about with you is, you know, you talked about the I think that was five, five different transitions. And you're talking about survival. But, you know, we can put it this as, as thriving because it's, there, there must be something. And I think we can conclude that there must be something really great about your leadership style. And that's why we wanted to have you on because you've thrived, you know, through each one of these different types of transitions. And sticking to being you seems to be the important part and roughing out those edges and embracing what you do well and and growing some staff. Absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, Beverly, I think this would be a good time for us. You know, do you have any any closing thoughts or any words of of wisdom you'd like to leave with the the next generation of healthcare leaders or leaders in general or people of color who are looking to move up in leadership? Um, Any words of final words of wisdom for them?
1: I guess I would say is um, the biggest thing is to um, drive the change that we need to see in healthcare. I think, um, as you stated previously, we've learned a lot through this current, you know, pandemic and challenge that you know this generational <laughs> pandemic um, that we've learned a lot about the healthcare system. We've learned um, what, you know, in, in some cases we've learned how quickly we can shift, um, which is a good thing that that shows that we can, um, we're agile and we can adjust quickly. And, and that to me is a strength. We've learned about the weaknesses in the healthcare system. We've Always known that there were disparities in health care, but covid has shined a light on it in a way that um I think it allowed a broad intersection of our communities to kind of know and understand what that really means what what it really means, and what are the impacts and the implications of disparities in health care I think that we you know, for the next generation of healthcare leaders, should be looking towards what what does healthcare look like in the future? That we we should be driving to a more um, customer centric model where care is defined by the person and what the person needs and what they want to be happy and fulfilled. Um, giving you know giving people more control over their healthcare and and empowering them to live. Their life the way they want to in the fullest on their terms. Um, I think that includes making healthcare more convenient and more affordable. And 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 if it's more convenient and more affordable, I think it is more likely to result in better outcomes. Um, I also and think. That- that- I'm sorry.
0: I was going to say, and I would imagine, as a as a finance person at heart, you could prove that on a on a dollar for dollar basis, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know a lot of. Um, I, I think it would be very transformational to the cost of of healthcare. But if you can if you can um, drive better outcomes at a lower cost, that is a win win for the um, for the healthcare system and. Um, you know, in in the midst of COVID, we've seen you know real, real movement in in how we deliver healthcare. I think that the future of healthcare has to include a, a real transformation in the consumer experience, and and have more innovative healthcare models, as well as just make it local and easier to access. This push towards telehealth has been amazing. I, you know, we've known this, we've talked about it, but COVID really pushed both consumers, providers and payers to, to really adapt um, fast and furiously um, out of everyone's comfort zone. And as a result, I think consumers have appreciated the new, you know, easier access, providers have recognized that they really can provide quality care in a telehealth environment for many services and I think payers have adapted and embraced this new norm and I and I honestly don't think I think it is here to stay. I don't think we will I think we will benefit from what we learned in our need to be agile and and adapt. So I think that is if you can find a, a positive, um, I would say that's a positive, And I think we can expect that we'll have to just be even more innovative, um, including more digital tools and communication modes to support that broader use of telehealth. Um, we have to constantly challenge the status quo and, and come up with new technologies and business models and how we work collaboratively with um, community-based organizations. Um, and, and so I think those are all important, you know, um, charges, I guess, that I would give to um, future leaders in healthcare is that we have to be about really focusing on the whole person, the mind, body, and spirit, and um, truly um, in all aspects of how we provide um uh, care to, uh, communities.
0: Well, and all those future leaders should definitely email your assistant and get some time set aside with you, right? So you can talk them through it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, set up that meeting. (laughs) meeting.
0: Well, you know, Beverly, I would just thank you so much for your time today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to, to work with you in a, in a, a, you know, to at least hear your wisdom four or five times a year during our, our, um, our, uh, our board meetings and, and other strategic meetings. And, and I know I get a lot from it. And I hope uh, folks here that tune into this get a lot from it, too. So I would just say thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you so much for your time today. And you know it's been a real pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was our next episode of the Explanation of Benefits podcast sponsored by the Michigan Association of Health Plans. If you have an idea for an episode, feel free to email us at mahp.org. Or if you'd like to be a guest, please contact us in the same way. Uh, Be well, take take care of yourself, and take care of each other. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Would you like to be a guest on our show, or do you have a show idea? Head to MHP.org to submit that over. We look forward to demystifying Michigan's healthcare industry.